The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Live from our nation's capital, it's Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. Welcome to Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. I'm Brad Bannon. I'm a Democratic strategist, a political analyst for WGN-TV and radio in Chicago, and a columnist for The Hill in Washington, D.C. You can read my take on the presidential race in The Hill every Monday. Just Google muckrack, M-U-C-K-R-A-C-K, dot com, front slash, Brad dash Bannon. My new contribution to The Hill is my take on Joe Biden's presidential campaign. My company, Bannon Communications Research, polls for and designs research-based media and message strategies for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. BannonCR.com is the sponsor of today's show. If you want to learn more about me and my political polling and communications company, go to Facebook.com front slash Bannon dash communications dash research. My Twitter handle is Brad Bannon, all one word. Today we'll discuss uh, the Middle East. Uh, with our expert on the region, Colonel Cedric Layton, U.S. Air Force, retired. If you want to be part of the show and talk directly to me and our guest, call us at 888-6-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. These are the questions that we'll discuss today on the show. Inquiring minds want to know, Americans traditionally rally behind the commander-in-chief in time of war. Will the simmering tensions in the Middle East with Iran help or hurt Donald Trump politically? Two, will the assassination, will the assassination of Iranian Special Forces Commander Qasem Soleimani be justified? And third, how will Iran respond to Soleimani's death? Our guest today is Colonel Cedric Layton, U.S. Air Force retired. He's the founder and president of Cedric Layton Associates, a strategic risk and leadership consultancy serving global companies and organizations. He, Cedric founded the com- company in 2010 after serving in the United States Air Force for 26 years as an intelligence officer and attaining the rank of colonel. Colonel Layton can also be seen regularly on CNN where he's a military analyst. The colonel's Twitter handle is at Cedric Layton, C-E-D-R-I-C-L-E-I-G-H-T-O-N. And his website is CedricLayton.com. 
Welcome back to Deadline DC, uh, Colonel Layton. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Brad. Thanks so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. You're one of my favorite guests. Uh, we always have fairly intelligent conversations when you're on the air, which is why I like to have you on the show. Okay, uh, let's start with this. Uh, just to give our listeners uh, some background, uh, could you uh, tell us uh, who uh, General Soleimani is, uh, was, and what kind of threat uh, did he represent to the United States? Sure. General Soleimani was a, a leader of uh, the Iranian Quds Force, uh, and that's a, uh, you know, an organization within the Iranian Revolutionary Guards. Uh, so the Iranian Revolutionary Guards is a organization that is outside of the Iranian military, but it is a paramilitary slash uh, intelligence organization. It's, uh, there's nothing like it in the United States, so it's hard to actually uh, you know, put our mirror image on something like this. But this organization, the Iranian Revolutionary Guards, and specifically the Quds Force Division, was responsible for not only gathering intelligence, but also uh, serving as an operational arm for all the dirty work that uh, the Iranian government wanted to do, uh, usually in the Middle East, but also sometimes in other parts of the world. Uh, in essence, they would take uh, the uh, aims of the Iranian state, uh, you know, be it to attack Israeli targets or American targets, and they would then execute operations that would be approved by Iran's supreme leader. And uh, Soleimani, uh, he first uh, got his military experience in the Iran-Iraq war. That was a big war that was fought between Iran and Iraq in the 1980s. And that war was designed, uh, it started by Saddam Hussein, and it was basically designed to uh, allow Saddam to uh, really fight uh, the old Ayatollah Khomeini, who was the first leader of the Islamic Republic. That war ended in a stalemate, uh, but Soleimani was a big hero of that war, and from there he rose to prominence to uh, then within the by the 1990s, he ended up commanding the Quds Force, and that's how he uh, became such a prominent player within Iran. And he, he was also publicly known, so normally people like that are not known to the public, but in his case, his exploits were so legendary uh, that he had a vast following among the Iranian population. Okay. Uh, when I uh, have a guest on the show uh, who talks about presidential politics, for instance, uh, I usually know as much about the subject as my guest. Uh, however, uh, I don't know nearly as much about what's happening in the Middle East as you do, uh, so you'll have to bear with me uh, if I uh, ask stupid questions. Uh, uh, there are no stupid questions in the Middle East. It's, uh, there's so much there to, to learn and to know that we're all busy with that. Uh, this is my question. I've In the past, Iran has done things which I thought were kind of crazy and probably caused them more harm than good. I remember maybe it was about a year ago, you probably know, but uh, they uh, they attacked from oil uh, tankers in the uh, Persian Gulf, 
and uh, ended up uh, taking them uh, and holding the tankers and the crews. And I'm thinking to myself, why would they ever do that? And the only theory I could come up with is that there was somebody, a group in the Iranian government, maybe the organization the general represented, uh, who were just incredibly aggressive, uh, did things that the Iranian government maybe wasn't crazy about, but didn't really have any uh, control over. Uh, it, it Was that the case with... with, with uh, uh, the group that the general represented? Sometimes, yes. Uh, the Quds Force, uh, the group that the general ran, uh, was uh, known to do things like this. But that technique of uh, either taking ships uh, for ransom, uh, like what you're talking about from about a year ago, or actually going and attacking tankers, uh, which they also did during that time frame, is actually something uh, that Iran itself, as the government itself, the official government, did in uh, the period of the Iran-Iraq War. And uh, they've been doing something like that when they felt they needed to ever since. So basically what that involves is disrupting the flow of oil from non-Iranian ports to the rest of the world. And Iran is uniquely positioned so that it can basically uh, take out about 20 to 25 percent of the world's oil supply if it chose to do so with uh, with one or two uh, direct hits or a cutting off uh, the, the Straits of Hormuz, which are the, the very narrow body of water between the Arabian Peninsula and Iran itself. So they, uh, they have this uh, technique that they developed, which uh, takes advantage of their geography, their geographical position, and it's one that the Quds Force employed quite a bit in addition to uh, the uh, Islamic Iranian Navy as well. Okay. Uh, we're going to go to break now. When we get back with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon, we'll have more from our guest expert on the Middle East, Colonel Cedric Layton, U.S. Air Force retired. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 888-6-LESLIE. Washington overnight as the White House is defending his decision to kill Iranian General Qasem Soleimani. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo flooded the airwaves Sunday, arguing the attack was necessary because Soleimani posed an imminent threat to America. We would have been culpably negligent had we not taken this action. And I am confident, and the intelligence community presented us a set of facts that made clear that the risk from doing nothing exceeded the risk of taking the action that we took. But Democrats are skeptical about whether an attack was imminent, saying the administration still hasn't presented the evidence to prove that. Look, I don't know what the president's motivation here is, but I think it was a reckless decision that increased the risk to Americans uh, all around the world, uh, not decreased it. For their part, Republicans are standing behind the president. Well, I believe that Iran was on the verge of uh, scaling up the attacks that they were aiming against the United States. And the United States had to take action in order to prevent that from happening. Meantime, starting today, Democrats in the House and Senate are mobilizing behind a resolution that would prohibit the president from taking any additional military action against Iran without the approval of Congress. I will do everything I can to assert our authority. We do not need this president either bumbling 
or impulsively getting us into a major war. But the president insists he has the right to act without Congress. Tweeting Sunday, these media posts will serve as notification to the United States Congress that should Iran strike any U.S. person or target, the United States will quickly and fully strike back and perhaps in a disproportionate manner. Overnight, Democrats on the House Foreign Affairs Committee firing back with a stern tweet of their own. This media post will serve as a reminder that war powers reside in the Congress under the United States Constitution and that you're not a dictator. Now, when the president was asked if he's worried about Iran retaliating, Mr. Trump told reporters overnight, quote, if it happens, it happens. As for impeachment, Democrats have said the crisis over Iran will not deter them from moving forward. Okay, that was uh, NBC News. Uh, This is Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Our guest today is uh, Colonel Cedric Layton, U.S. Air Force retired. Uh, He is the founder and president of Cedric Layton Associates, a strategic risk and leadership consultancy serving global communities and organizations. Before I get back to Colonel Layton, I'm uh, going to uh, put in my own two cents on this uh, Iranian uh, controversy. Uh, Someone once said that it's a lot easier to start a war than to end one. Our guest, Colonel Layton, can probably tell me who said that. Uh, I think Joe Biden was right when he said that uh, that the president, uh, uh, with his actions, uh, threw dynamite into a tinderbox. Um, it's my guess that uh, Donald Trump started the war, but he probably doesn't have any clue on how to end it. Uh, This course is from the presidential candidate who promised to end the perpetual wars in the Middle East. The drone drone strike against Soleimani illustrates a troublesome trend in American national security policy, which is the freedom that presidents have to single-handedly attack other nations without congressional approval. Since the end of World War II, every president has committed American military forces to conflicts without a congressional delegation uh, uh, declaration of war. Uh, anyway, uh, first of all, uh, Colonel uh, Layton, uh, the I heard the Secretary of State Mike Pompeo say the other day uh, that over the weekend that uh, General Soleimani was an imminent threat to the United States. Uh, was he? Well, there's a huge question about that, Brad, because, uh, you know, there there have been cases where uh, certain people have been an imminent threat to, either to the United States or to specific U.S. military installations. But in this particular case, uh, the evidence has not been presented, at least to my satisfaction, that that is true. Uh, in Soleimani's case, he clearly has the blood of American soldiers on his hands. At last count, about 603 U.S. military personnel, uh, their deaths can be directly tied uh, to the actions of Soleimani and his goods force. However, uh, you know, having said that, and clearly he was a bad actor, uh, clearly somebody that, uh, you know, should be taken off of the, the battlefield, so to speak, I, the question of timing and uh, what the consequences of such actions uh, would be, those are the questions that uh, any policymaker uh, should be asking before they, they do something like this, or 
before they recommend something like this. So, you know, from my standpoint, the evidence has not been presented uh, that conclusively says that uh, he was an imminent threat at this particular point in time, either to the U.S. in general or to specific U.S. entities or people uh, in uh, in the Middle East or in other other parts of the world. Uh, Let's uh, try this, uh, Colonel Layton. Um, let's, uh, now I, I heard, I think I saw the president tweet, uh, that he, uh, said this action, uh, was in response to the, uh, killing of a, uh, uh, an American contractor somewhere in the Middle East. Maybe it was Iraq. Uh, is that justification enough? Well, you know, there's always the law of proportionality when it comes to military actions and, uh, you know, a reaction like like this was. Uh, so one contractor uh, was killed. Uh, two American soldiers uh, were wounded uh, in an attack on Iraq's, uh, on our base in Iraq uh, called K-1, which is near Kirkuk, the city of Kirkuk in Iraq. Uh, in, you know, generally speaking, these kinds of attacks have been happening, you know, since uh, we invaded Iraq. Iraq in, in 2003. They've been recurring very frequently uh, up until the last few years. Uh, and uh, this was a bit of an aberration, but it is not so unusual that it uh, would result in, the ju- in a justification for something like this. Uh, so, uh, yeah, at this point, I would say as lamentable as the death of the U.S. contractor was, uh, it is not something that, uh, you know, that should result in uh, the killing of of a, an opposition uh, military leader like uh, like Qasem Soleimani. Uh, we're going to go to break now. Uh, we get back from break. Um, our guest will continue to be Colonel Cedric Layton, uh, U.S. Air Force retired. Uh, we're going to continue to talk about the situation with uh, Iran in the Middle East. Uh, if you want to jump in and join the conversation, you can call us at 888-6-LESLIE. Uh, until then, just stay tuned for a couple of minutes, listen to these messages, and we will have more on the crisis with Iran when we get back from this break. Leslie Marshall, real people, real life, real talk. 888-6-LESLIE. Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. In the uh, previous half hour, I I raised an issue which I'd like to talk some more about, and it's a constitutional issue. Presidents need some flexibility in a dangerous and complex world, but things have got completely out of hand. Our founding fathers fought a war for independence because so they understood the human cost of conflict. They created a system that made it difficult to start a war. The founders gave Congress, the representatives of the people, not the president, the power to declare or start a war. The founders uh, made the president commander-in-chief of the armed forces to direct the war once Congress had authorized it. Now things are completely out of whack. A president can start a war with a phone call or a tweet with any, without any kind of congressional input. And that's what happened this weekend. 
A war should be difficult to start, uh, as difficult to start as the founders intended. It shouldn't be as easy as posting something on Twitter or Facebook. Our guest today is Middle Eastern Specialist Colonel Cedric Layton, U.S. Air Force, retired. He is the founder and president of Cedric Layton Associates, a strategic risk and leadership consultancy serving global companies and organizations. The colonel's Twitter handle is at Cedric Layton, all one word, C-E-D-R-I-C-L-E-I-G-H-T-O-N. His website is CedricLayton.com. Let me ask you this. Uh, every, I believe, uh, every president since World War II has unilaterally committed American forces to combat abroad. Uh, has the constitutional system uh, got out of whack, in your opinion, Colonel Layton? Absolutely, Brad. I mean, when you look at uh, you know the very fact that you mentioned that World War II was the last war that was a declared war when it came to the United States, that uh, that tells you something. Uh, of course, uh, countries around the world have more or less dispensed with the formal declaration of war that we're you know used to from uh, you know from uh, from previous periods. Uh, but having said that, there is a reason to formally declare war, and I think that's something that even a time in which you know, everything is run through social media and everything happens instantaneously, uh, we should be very careful not to dispense with the deliberative process uh, that gets us into uh, or out of uh, a particular uh, set of conflicts. And that's that's why uh, the constitutional powers uh, should be maintained in their original form, uh, which has, as you pointed out, the Congress do, having the power to declare war and the president being the commander-in-chief once war is actually declared. Declared. So that's that's the way I believe uh, you know these kinds of things should be run. Uh, but we are definitely uh, not adhering to those principles and to those tenets of the Constitution. Okay, let uh, let's uh, try this. Uh, let's try to be thoughtful for a moment, even though it might be death to my ratings. Uh, let's go back to last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, an American contractor gets killed. Um, two American uh, soldiers got killed. At that point, what kind of options did President Trump have in front of him? We knew, we know what he did. Um, the question is, what are other options, if any, did he have available? had a multiplicity of options. I mean, one of them would have been to do nothing, uh, which is, is certainly an option. Um, another one would be to, uh, you know, find out who actually uh, shelled the base and go after them specifically in a, in a tactical sense. Uh, and that, uh, you know, you, you could make the argument, you know, that, well, that would have been a direction from Soleimani and therefore, you know, it was justified to kill him. But we have no proof that there's a direct cause and effect there. Uh, but that certainly would have been an option. The other thing would have been to ask the Iraqi government uh, to provide more security for the base. Uh, there are a lot of different things that could have been done uh, without escalating uh, this, this uh, situation to the level that it is, has been escalated to. And, and 
that I think is the most uh, most difficult thing uh, you know to to look at here because uh, there will, there always are a lot of off ramps until you close each one of them off and in this particular case uh, each one of them was rapidly closed off and we are have uh, gotten to the point uh, where you know we're really staring the prospect of a wider conflict in the face right now and that's uh, that's something that you know clearly represents a failure of policy making and and frankly of diplomacy uh, in in this particular administration at this point in time. You know, I, I one of the things that bothers me about this situation is that it, it doesn't sound like it was thought out very well, and it, and it still doesn't. Uh, you know, it seems to me that since the attack over the weekend, um, already some bad things have happened. Uh, one of which is that uh, the uh, uh, l- l- let me ask you the question a different way. W- w- you know, it's hard for me to believe that Iran is not going to retaliate in some way. Uh, it seems to me that if uh, somebody killed one of our government officials, uh, the United States would certainly uh, retaliate. Um, and I'm guessing that Iran's not going to miss the opportunity to do something. So my question is, uh, what, what what do you expect to happen in the Middle East next? And whatever it is, probably is not going to be a good thing. Yeah, that, that's right, Brad. It, it certainly won't be a good thing. The Iranians themselves have uh, have told Western uh, uh, press agencies and and television networks that what they want to do is attack a U.S. military target. It sounds like uh, what they're planning to do is a, a you know a, a conventional kinetic attack uh, at a target against the target in the Middle East, uh, but. Uh, that could be a feint. It could be a, you know, basically a, a, a deception uh, campaign. What they may also be looking at is a cyber attack. Now, it's possible, of course, that they could do both things simultaneously. They, they do have the capability to do that. So here's what I'm basically expecting. I'm thinking that uh, they will mount an attack on a U.S. military facility in the Middle East, but they may wait a while before they actually do that. In the meantime, while we're focused on other things, I expect them to mount a cyber attack against uh, either U.S. businesses or a particular economic sector, like, let's say, the banking sector, or a portion of the infrastructure, the critical infrastructure, such as the power grid uh, or, you know, hospitals or uh, something like that. Uh, We've seen some indications uh, that uh, certain forms of ransomware uh, might be used in this. Uh, So that would be something where they would, in essence, uh, shut down a network uh, and uh, demand payment uh, before that network could be opened back up. Uh, that's one one thing that could happen. Um, but uh, I suspect that they want to do something publicly to assuage uh, the anger in Iran uh, at the uh, attack on uh, on General Soleimani, and that is something that uh, we have to expect. I also think that they may try to do some attacks against shipping in the Persian Gulf. Uh, we talked a little bit about that earlier. You know, something like that is part of their playbook that goes back all the way to the 1980s, and I think that they may very well dust off those pages of the playbook and and use them again. Okay. Uh, We're going to go to break now, uh, and when we get back from break, our short break, uh, we will have more with our guest 
today. Uh, Middle Eastern specialist Colonel Cedric Layton, U.S. Air Force, retired. Hang in there. There's still plenty of come on Deadline DC with Brad Bannon, so don't go away. Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Our guest in this hour is Colonel Cedric Layton, U.S. Air Force, retired. If you'd like to contact uh, Colonel Layton, uh, you, his uh, Twitter handle is Cedric Layton, all one word, C E D R I C L E I G H T O N, and his website is CedricLayton.com. We, of course, are talking about the uh, crisis in the Middle East, specifically the tension, increasing tensions between the United States and Iran. Uh, Let's uh, start off uh, with this question. Uh, Cedric, it seems to me we're in a situation now where we could just continue to escalate this thing. Um, Iran is probably going to retaliate in some way, which we just just before the break. Uh, my guess is if uh, Iran retaliates, we will retaliate for the retaliation. In fact, I guess over the weekend, the president said that we've already targeted uh, 52 different sites in Iran. And, of course, if we do that, uh, there'll be uh, Iranian uh, retaliation. What could a president do at this point to try to uh, stop the situation from getting out of hand? Well, I think uh, laying off of Twitter might be the first thing to do in this particular case. (laughs) <laughs> but in all seriousness, I think that, that well, that would be great. That's probably unrealistic. But I think what, what would really be, be a good thing to do besides that would be to actually say, um, you know, here are the the things that uh, that we want Iran to do. Uh, we want them not to engage in terrorism. We want them not to attack our troops. Uh, this was a warning shot. Uh, we don't want to do anything further. Uh, and, uh, you know, warn Iran not to, uh, not to go any further than that, that would be a bit more realistic. Uh, but, you know, while all of this is going on, um, there's a, a news alert from the Washington Post uh, that basically says that the U.S. military has sent a note to the Iraqi military that they're going to reposition their forces within Iraq in preparation for a withdrawal of U.S. forces from that country. Uh, I think many of us wanted a withdrawal from Iraq at some point in time, uh, but I would argue that this is not the right time to do it, and it will look like a uh, you know, like like it, it, we've basically lost uh, that and ceded that that country to Iran, and that's also a geopolitical mistake. So, uh, first of all, you know, he should, uh, you know, besides all these other things, the president should avoid geopolitical mistakes that weaken the United States. And I'm afraid that we're on a path uh, where there'll be a lot of mistakes made, and uh, it'll be very hard to recover from them. Yeah, that that's what I'm kind of afraid of. I uh, read something. Um, over the weekend, uh, where someone was uh, talking about the uh, 
uh, simmering tensions and saying this could be like uh, mentioned that uh, great book about the start of World War II, uh, World War One, The Guns of August, where somebody does something that inspires another movement and a counter movement. And all of a sudden uh, you're fighting a world war. And it doesn't strike me that there's anybody I, I don't pretend to know what's happening within the national security apparatus of the Trump administration. Uh, but it seems to me uh, that there's no one who can talk President Trump down. Uh, you know, I mean, the fact that uh, he said over the weekend that we were prepared to target 52 sites uh, in Iran for attacks uh, suggests that the president is doesn't want to calm the situation down. He wants to intensify it uh and uh you know i mean one byproduct of this is that the iraqi parliament um asked the united states to withdraw its troops from iraq our uh european allies uh have uh not been supportive of president trump's uh actions so what do you think's going to happen now because I don't think there's anybody in the administration, apparently, who's who's capable of talking the president down. Well, that's that's the problem, and I think you know an administration uh, that uh, you know has problems justifying its actions is also going to be dangerous in this regard. Because even when confronted by uh, the truth or by something else that uh, that should be brought to the attention of the American people, they won't necessarily do that. And you know, uh, like your mention of the Guns of August uh, by Barbara Tuckman, uh, that is a classic book. It should be reread uh, by those who have already read it, and it should be read by those who have haven't yet read it, because we tend to uh, repeat history in some ways. In other words, history really rhymes, I think, then, you know, then uh, repeats itself exactly. But uh, we're in that rhyming period right now where uh, we have a real problem uh, that uh, leaders are not going to back down from, and they're not going to be creative in solving it. And I think that's, that's the real issue here. Okay. Uh, maybe this is uh, projecting too far, but if... Are we likely you know, the uh, president, I believe, ordered about thirty five hundred uh, more American troops to the Middle East? Uh, now, I guess my question is, if something if cooler heads don't prevail, uh, you know, for instance, I, I inst almost instantly after the attack, uh, memes like World War Three were trending on Twitter. Uh, and actually, I sort of uh, uh, wondered about that because uh, it seems to me there have been at least six wars in the Middle East since the 1980s, much less World War III. Um, are we actually going to get to a point uh, where there's actually, you know, real, you know, ground war with, you know, hundreds of thousands of troops facing each other, you know, tanks going back and forth over the deserts. Uh, are we likely to get that, that point or is it likely to be uh, something short of that if cooler heads don't prevail? Uh, missile attacks on Israel for existence. What, what do you think this is going to turn out to if cooler heads don't prevail? 
I, I think if cooler heads don't prevail, I think you're going to see more of the missile attacks on Israel. I think you'll see cyber attacks. I think they'll, uh, you know, there'll be a lot of targeting both uh, through cyber attacks and uh, through perhaps specific uh, terrorist-style actions of the critical infrastructure, both in the Middle East and uh, potentially here in the United States. So uh, it's a dangerous period. Uh, it is something where uh, we have to be very careful about the next steps. Uh, we need to have really wise people looking at this problem and working uh, with some people that we don't necessarily want to work with, uh, but people that we need in order to avoid a major conflagration. Because if that happens, uh, there are going to be a lot of dislocations in our daily life, and we don't want that uh, for anybody. Okay. Uh, we have two significant allies in the Middle East. I think there are allies anyway. Um, Israel and Saudi Arabia. Uh, how do you think uh, they're reacting to this situation? Well, the Israelis seem to be happy that we, uh, you know, got rid of General Soleimani. The Saudis seem a bit more cautious, and although they've been attacked by the Iranians, most recently, you know, with the uh, attack on the drone attack on the Saudi Aramco facility uh, a few months ago, I think that they are more interested in in toning things down. Uh, they've made some efforts to try to mediate this, and uh, which would be, you know, somewhat interesting given the fact that they really don't like the Iranians, uh, but I think that might be what will happen. Uh, the Saudis uh, will probably work with the Russians, who will work with the Iranians, uh, and uh, they will try to uh, pull everybody back from the brink, uh, but uh, it's going to require a lot of deft maneuvering to get there. I also had a question, Brad, if we have a, uh, Go ahead. just a quick minute. Colonel, um, I was wondering regarding, um, you know, the American population's willingness to go to war uh, you know, at the start of the conflict compared to other conflicts, you know, for instance, the Vietnam conflict and, you know, after September 11th, obviously they got less popular as they've gone on. But the last polling really, you know, reliable polling was Gallup in August, uh, and it had 78% of Americans against any sort of military conflict with Iran um, just in 30 seconds or so before we end. I mean, how does that affect decisions like that, you know, for a political animal like Trump, but also the military? Well, it can definitely affect uh, things like that, Mark, because uh, you know, political animal is going to look at this and say, I will have to work really hard to change people's minds and to get 78% or a portion of that 78% to shift to their view is going to be tough to do. The military will do what the commander-in-chief tells them to do within reason, uh, and the orders will need to be lawful, they will need to be for a, a real, uh, you know, real requirement, but uh, they can change things enough so that they can uh, they can make uh, the military do what they need need to or what they think they need the military to do, and that's where uh, you know it, it can become very dangerous. We could get into an unpopular war very quickly here. Thank you, Colonel. Okay, that's all for today, folks. Thanks to my guest, Colonel Cedric Layton, U.S. Air Force retired, and to my executive producer, Mark Grimaldi. I'm here every Monday at three o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. If the Lord is willing and the creek don't rise. Unless Donald Trump declares martial law, that is.